danced before his eyes and he shook his head to clear them, but his vision when he read the street name was unclouded. Fairfax Road. That was where Joe lived. 22. Fairfax Road. His knee hurt. He limped back to the house, sweat starting out in groin, armpit and forehead. He needed tea, something to eat. He had, he suddenly realised, on this unsatisfactory day, dashed out in the morning on only a cup of tea. Should he go back to a friend's house? He automatically reached for his mobile phone. The back panel had split, probably in his fall. The line was dead. He threw it in disgust into the nearest flower bed. He would have to get in through the bay windows, but these, with safety locks in place, were impossible to open. He picked up a stone from the garden, wrapped it in a dirty handkerchief, no point in raising the alarm with the shattering noise of the broken glass, and prepared to throw. The stone never left his hand, because he now saw that, in the place of the mirror that had normally hung over the sideboard, was a charcoal drawing of a man's head, heavily framed in black and executed in strong, bold strokes. Joe gazed at it, mesmerised by its extraordinary power by the dark, malevolent eyes staring straight into Joe's. He drew back in alarm, his only wish to flee, but he had noted with astonishment that the room that he was looking at was not his, was not the one belonging to Joe and his mother, was not the room inside 22 Fairfax Road. Joe drew near again and registered foreign furniture, heavy and dark Hessian curtains. He now noticed thick, Roughly hewn wooden shutters swinging loose either side. He was interrupted by a harsh voice. What the hell do you think you're doing? He whirled round. Facing him was a small, swarthy man, dark-featured, heavily bearded, staring at him with hostility. Joe shrank back as the stranger laid a heavy hand on his arm. Take your hands off me! He responded by grasping both Joe's shoulders and giving them a shake. I don't advise you to be insolent, he hissed. He was looking round furtively as though caught in some illicit act. Clearly mad, an escapee from the local hostel. On drugs, probably. Joe decided to handle him with care. I'm trying, he explained as though addressing a child, to get into my house. But it wasn't, from what he had seen, his house. Someone else's house. Perhaps this man's. Your house? He pushed his face into Joe's. The key won't turn in the lock, Joe offered in a conciliatory tone. If he kept talking, perhaps he could edge him onto the path, back him into the street, find help. The man gave him a sharp push. Scram, he said, before I call out the nets. Run! His mouth was pressed against Joe's ear, the word exploding from him in a tone so low, Joe was uncertain he had heard it. The man looked to either side, and then, taking a key from the loose folds of his shirt, opened the front door. Joe watched with astonishment. Pausing, the man whispered again. I warned you, and disappeared inside. Joe stood, stupefied. A bell began to ring, tolling from near at hand, then another and another. Looking up, Joe saw, outlined against the sky, wooden structures on all the roofs, two uprights and a crossbar from which, their clappers following the rhythm, dark bells swung back and forth. The summer afternoon resounded to their peals. The front door opened, and the man came out carrying a long pole with a large net suspended at its end. I told you to run! Joe took off down Fairfax Road, turned left at the corner into Sydenham Road, and on into Forest Lane. Behind him pounded a gathering momentum of feet, shouts, bells, whistles. 
More people emerged from their houses. All were holding man-sized nets. A sharp blow caught him on the back of his neck and stunned him. He could see the park railings where so recently he had stood, contemplating the possibility of a cup of tea. Should he run in? He decided against it, fearing to be surrounded. He raced on, uncertain of the direction he was taking. A warm liquid trickled down his back. Sweat ran down his chest and into his eyes, preventing his seeing ahead. Lost in a vortex of sound, of breathlessness and terror, the throbbing in his ears was indistinguishable from the clamour behind him. Hate was at his heels. He zigzagged to avoid the net, and as he did so, his body hit wall either side. Out of the corner of his eye, he saw the legend Cat Walk. So that was where he was. The local graveyard for cars lay beyond. Another blow caught him on the back of the head. He threw himself forward, expecting a net to close over him, and braced himself for a final struggle. There was no need. His pursuers had not followed. He fell to the ground, into silence and oblivion, a blank black abyss.